0: Welcome back to this episode of the Tune Lighting podcast and a bit of a special episode for you this week, uh, a bit of a deviation away from the usual uh, episodes relating to us making our album within 365 days in one year. I mean, it's still related to that. It's still, uh, t- we're talking about albums, but we've decided that it would be good to break down a few of our favorite albums of all time, some of mine and in- Jack's favorite albums that we've listened to growing up, or some of them might be even older than us, uh, but albums that have inspired us. And we're going to break down 10 things that we really like about those albums and kind of do a bit of analysis. And hopefully we can, we can then use that and uh, apply what we've learned from these deep dives to the album, our album.
1: And then shamelessly rip them off. <laughs> exactly.
0: But the main thing is that we're being honest about it yeah some bands just try and get away with it but we're being brutally yeah. honest that we're going to completely completely rip them off and to be
1: honest I would I'd barely know, I'd barely know where to start um ripping off this particular album we're about to talk about <laughs> but maybe maybe after talking about it we'll uncover a few secrets
0: yeah we decided a nice place to start was with an album that we agreed with, uh, was was very important to us growing up and very inspiring and that is by the band Muse, and it's Origin of Symmetry. So Muse, if you don't know them, uh, which would be surprising if you don't, but they uh, are a three-piece band from Timmouth in Devon in the UK. Uh, Chris Wilson's home, Dominic Howard, and Matt Bellamy. Uh, They formed back in 1994 all the way back in 1994, uh, when they met at college. Um, And yeah, the origin of Symmetry, the album which we will be talking about today, was their second studio album, which was released back in 2001, uh, reaching number three, the heady heights of number three in the UK chart, uh, and actually doing best in France, got to number two there. And it's been highly acclaimed by many, many people since it, got to 74 in q magazine's top 100 albums of all time muse are when i was looking up their genres they would classed as many things alt rock progressive rock space rock is another one it's, it's quite i was looking through uh reviews at the time actually and um it was of this album and it, it mainly got really good reviews lots of four stars five stars but the uh, one review that stood out to me was in the guardian <laughs> where they gave it one one star um and i'll uh, i'll just read you that little in, that little review to set the scene here comparisons to radiohead meant that muse didn't have a particularly easy debut but they showed a nice knack for anthemic guitar songs plug in baby the first single from the difficult second album is in the same full throttle vein Unfortunately, it's the only time that muse keep pretension in check in favour of pop. Origin of Symmetry is unbelievably overblown. Self-important and horrible. <laughs> Space Dementia glori- glories in a grandiosity that even Rick Wakeman would balk at. As a piano part gone mad? Jewels with swirling lyrics that say nothing but merely allow singer Matt Bellamy to hold a note for as long as possible, something he obviously enjoys. Which is weird because he takes massive gulps of breath before every phrase, like a claustrophobic stuck in a lift. <laughs> so that's for negatives.
1: <laughs> I think they have always been a divisive band, um, but probably especially so back in the early days when um, people are trying to figure them out. Just I guess, didn't, yeah. yeah, they just didn't get it. Like, how can? Um, I mean, we'll, we'll cover all of this in the episode, but people didn't understand how or why a band could be so over the top, and uh, couldn't couldn't compute it. But um, thankfully, millions of people around the world did get it, and uh, we, we are we are two of them. Yeah.
0: Before we jump into the ten things that we love about this album, can you remember when? It came into your life, Jack. When did you first listen to it? Was it when it first came out or was this something, Was Muse a band that you discovered later in life? No, it wasn't. So
1: life? I'd imagine that Feeling Good from this album is probably the first Muse song I heard. Um, but I was 11 when it came out and sort of not into music in a big way or not this kind of music. Um, when Absolution came out a couple of years later, their third album, that's when I really took an interest um, and work backwards from there. So, around about that time, I would have discovered Origin of Symmetry, and those two albums, Absolution and Origin of Symmetry, I think are their their masterpieces. But we've gone, we've we've chosen to dissect yeah, this one. It was uh, it was a tough choice between the two, but yeah, it could have easily talked
0: about both of them. They're both great albums. Muse came into my life a little bit later, probably around the time of Absolution as well. Uh, I think I actually, no, I think actually Hyper Music was the first song of theirs I heard off Origin of Symmetry again. We'll talk about that in a bit, but um, it, I had it on a Kerrang album. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I remember thinking the first few listens, I definitely skipped through it because it just didn't quite fit in with what I was listening to at the time. But eventually I gave it more and more of a listen and uh, grew to love it. But yeah, I, I would say, as with many of my favorite bands, probably it was when you get to when you're growing up you you tend to go for try and listen to things that you you're familiar with or that sound like what you've already listened to and anything that deviates from that you kind of proceed with a bit more caution or may avoid and then it, it takes a little bit more time but when you finally do crack it then those end up often becoming some of your favorite bands so
1: the rewards are, are great yeah when you when you get to it so yeah what
0: is number number one? on the list of our top 10 favorite things about this great album where should we start
1: it sounds like the future <laughs> um especially as a teenager getting into uh, rock music at the time this album more so than my debut sounds like nothing else um i like i like the space rock tag that you mentioned earlier i think that's quite apt there's something very futuristic about muses sounds um doesn't sound retro in any way it doesn't sound like it's kind of trying to be another band now i'll I'll caveat (laughs) that by saying but um they have their influences as all bands do. Rage Against the Machine is is a big one. Yeah. I'll be amazed um, how
0: much Rage Against the Machine came up when I was kind of breaking down the album and going through the tracks one by one. And I just kept writing down Rage Against the Machine, Rage Against the Machine. I thought I hadn't really I, I knew that Tom Morello, the Rage Against the Machines guitarist, was a big influence on Matt Bellamy's style and things like that but I didn't realise that Rage Against the Machine were qu- quite such a big influence. And I think particularly on this album. Um and he does mention yeah. that in a few interviews actually that, that they were I think
1: important. yeah, I think um Rage and Jeff Buckley are two that Matt Bellamy f- frequently mentions. Um obviously they're quite different. Radiohead is another one that um sort of critics pick up on a lot. Yeah. But I still think that um listen to the album, sure there's, there's bits where you can see the influence, but as a whole the blend of styles is not like any of those bands. Mm. It's definitely a new thing that appeals to me and certainly appealed to me when I first heard it.
0: Yeah, there's definitely there's certain riffs which are almost a complete nod to Rage Against the Machine. I think um, like hyper, hyper Music being one that has that kind of same beat. You can imagine the crowd bouncing along to it as soon as it, as soon as the guitar kicks in. It's very yeah, I like think the that's, that's sort the
1: most rage, rage-esque um very fun there, uh, for sure.
0: Like you said, that song and other songs kind of go from a Rage-esque riff into transitioning into something that sounds more like Radiohead or something like that within the same song. Yeah, so-
1: there's, there's more more melody than there is in Rage songs. There's more, as we'll get onto, there's more kind of orchestral uh, and electronic um, flavors in it, which kind of blend into something completely different. Do you, do you think it's a, a mixture of all of the things then that
0: create this sound of the future this spacey feel that gives them this the space rock tag do you think it's a mixture of the lyrics everything from the the theme around the album the artwork to the kind of sound do you think it's the combination of everything that that gives it that
1: yeah i do and matt bellamy's kind of own interests and things he brings up in interviews kind of get more and more uh, outlandish as time goes by conspiracy theories and um big issues that aren't usually touched upon in uh in rock music so, so the album starts
0: with newborn which i know yeah what what an opening <laughs> it's a, a statement of intent yeah it's as a statement of intent it's it i think i do i remember sitting down and putting the album on as a whole the first time round, and and newborn comes on first and just yeah, it's, it, it really does hit yeah, you the way it kind of the, obviously the classical opening with the uh, with the piano and the and the singing and then the slow kind of build to crescendo almost you know immediately to to start off that huge riff is a uh, yeah is, a, is one of, probably I would say one of my favorite al- album openers of all time.
1: criminal that they don't play that song at at every gig. I think it's more of a bit part in the set list these days, but it's uh, a brilliant live as is the whole album. Yeah. This brings us nicely on to point number two, and I've just written riffs, (laughs) exclamation mark. Muses are a band that are purveyors of some of modern rock music's uh, best guitar riffs, in my opinion, and particularly this album. So the Newborn riff uh, is a good example. It's all kind of ferocious and fuzzy and it feels like it's it's growing over time
0: starting with that kind of classical sound of the of the piano and slowly building the bass almost sneaks in at the start and then that huge huge kind of metal i would i would say it's bordering on metal riff uh that kicks in um it's just a contrast between the two the two elements in an opening song that makes that riff already a huge riff but
1: i think it just makes that riff even more huge for sure can't mention the riffs the album without talking about Plugin Baby, which is arguably their most recognizable and I'd say one of the most original. Yeah, slinks back on itself, it kind of coils around, and um, when the bass and drums kick in at the start, it's yeah, it's another real album highlight for me. <laughs>
0: released the demo version of it in 1997 so four years before Origin of Symmetry It oh, well. didn't have the riff in it. It just kicks yeah, straight, in, straight into, the, into the verse so when you think it's such an iconic riff probably you know pe- people who are massive Muse fans would probably still know that riff um, It's for to think that it wasn't in the original song yeah, well the original demo is quite funny.
1: Yeah it's something to bear in mind when uh, when writing our album as well that um, sometimes what really makes a song is the last thing to be added. Yeah. So, yeah, those are two of many great riffs on the album. Citizen Raised has got a very simple but very, very heavy riff based on harmonics that it yeah. keeps uh, returning to. Hyper music, we've mentioned.
0: Yeah, I would say one of my favourite riffs on the album is actually not at the start of a song, is in micro cuts at the end of just that's kind of very yeah. gracious machine again. <laughs> It has got that live sound, and I was trying to pinpoint what it was, and it's, it's there's there 's subtlety to it, but it's um yeah so there's moments like that in micro cuts, which is almost a live riff you can imagine. And Muse do do that a lot live. They just throw in these riffs between songs and stuff. But it's uh, the album. This album almost feels like a live set because of these bits of feedback between songs, and then these big riffs and and almost playing to a crowd that you know isn't there. But I like how they uh, how well that comes across.
1: Yeah, it's um it's well produced in terms of guitar tones. It's kind of wild and unbridled distortion and fuzz but yet if it's not a contradiction it's it's channeled and focused so you know it doesn't sound messy
0: yeah because you you think of some other kind of iconic albums that i really like that are um that are just fuzzy and do sound a bit messy and almost demo like um uh, but this doesn't have sound this sounds well produced but without losing that which I think is really, must be really hard to achieve, but yeah, it does it
1: doesn't lose that. <laughs> yeah. Uh John Leckie and a guy called David Bottrell. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh produced the album. Um, so fair play to them. <laughs> fair play indeed. So I guess that brings us quite nicely on to point number three. Point number three is the fact it's completely overblown and bombastic. Most of the songs on here could soundtrack an action film. Um, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. apocalypse itself. The Absolution album is took this further, as indeed did most future uh, Muse releases. It's kind of it's cinematic in scope. Yeah. It's kind of visceral and powerful. And some people sniff at that, saying, "Well, it's you know, it's preposterous, it's pretentious. Why, why shouldn't there be a place for writing music? I think that's absolutely something that um, that rock music, yeah." can do um is take you into a completely different place. Um sure, you know, there's a there's a time and a place for singing about day to day life and strumming acoustic guitars, but there's also a place for taking you into, you know, <laughs> neighbouring galaxies and sounding like yeah. the most vital and important uh songs you, you've ever heard. And especially as a young person, um, that's the kind of energy you need in your life sometimes.
0: Through the music and the lyrics. Combined and then also the look of the band and the, and uh, and things like that, everything around it creates this yeah almost film
1: like final product, which is really really cool. It's not lost on them if you see the live show; they fully capitalize on the, on the kind of cinematic appeal by going all out with their uh, their production uh, visually, and 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 it works. They can get away with it because. The music fits.
0: Uh, there's songs like in Arrays," which are almost entire, they could almost be a film in themselves. The song, you know, the the contrast between the loud and
1: yeah, it's a, it's a seven a seven minute epic. Maybe it's the type of song that um, Naysayers won't get. They think, oh, this is you know, this is too proggy prog rock, being mm. kind of a dirty word to many people. Um, after people who lived through the sort of 70s and 80s when things were getting really yeah. experimental and overblown. And I must admit that I've not, <laughs> I didn't live through that and I've not listened back to a lot of the um, bands that are associated with it. But um, prog being progressive in itself is is not a bad thing. Certainly, in my book.
0: Yeah, it's weird that that's such a, a loaded term. I remember when uh, in my first job, one of the first questions I got asked by my new boss was like, "Oh, what, uh, what kind of music, what genres of music are you into?" I thought it was a weird question, but I remember saying like, just out of nowhere, I was like, Oh, "You know, prog rock," because I thought Muse a prog rock, and then because he was slightly older, and for the he got uh, laughed out the room, didn't understand why um, at the time. But, uh, yeah, re- re- revise my answer to that
1: question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's about that is a problem with with genre. Once yeah. you put a label on something, it can uh, have those connotations for life. Again, people might criticize for taking itself too seriously. Well, music isn't conscious, it can't yeah. take music, can't take itself too seriously as long as the musicians aren't. And I don't think they were. You could listen to something like, um, Micro cuts, I think, is a good example for the most ridiculous thing on here. It's basically a cross between heavy metal and opera. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you can it can almost make you laugh out loud when you the chorus first kicks in. Uh, Matt Bellamy's hmm. ridiculous falsetto um, sounds like some really kind of gothic horror soundtrack, uh, but yeah. it's great. Like, yeah, embrace I mean, it. I would say. Point.
0: Come on to one of our other points, but yeah, the, the singing and. In that chorus is, uh, my, yeah, so it's so operatic, but it almost becomes an instrument in in its own way—the distorted sound of the singing. <laughs> Just the contrast between the the loud, big riff songs and the pop, I guess the more poppy singles on the album, and then the slightly more cinematic, classical songs um, is is what makes it so mad again. <laughs> as, as a journey that it takes you on as an album, and and it translates so well into the live show as well. I I remember seeing them live for the first time; they played "Citizen Erased," and it's one of those tracks where you can. Time feels like it's passing so slowly because it's you're thrown into this crazy energy at the start, and then it brings it right back down to a, a classical feel, and and everything slows down for a second before building back up to a, a final crescendo. Washington. Like a, It's like a, um, a classical piece of music, I, I guess, kind of in a way that it's structured. Uh, yeah, so almost yeah, in movements rather, rather, than cars, in, um,
1: yeah. rather than in verses and choruses. Which I think brings us nicely on to point number four, um, which is despite all the proggy influences and the, the seven minute seven minute <laughs> songs or song. Their ability to write a kind of perfect pop song, three and a half minute pop song, um, mm. was evident here. Plug in baby, whilst clearly um a rock song is so in my opinion, so like perfectly formed. It's got your your classic verse yep. chorus, verse chorus structure. It's got a nice little a middle a big eight. hook. Big, big hook. yet also a great melody, the um twinkles of the guitar um, in the verses and then the the build up into a big old sing along
0: and then for them to fit so well within the album which takes you to so many different places but to fit so seamlessly in uh, this kind of what could easily be a standalone pop song that works so well on the radio to fit so well in with the album, the kind of distortion at the end of the uh, previous track that builds up into this riff. And then it's just, yeah.
1: Yeah. I always like um, when you've heard a single, perhaps it's a lead single from an album uh, and you you form an opinion of it, maybe you like it. uh, And then, it's a great sign when you then hear it in context on the album. Maybe it takes you surprise, kind takes you by surprise, leading from a previous track. And then suddenly it, it makes a whole different kind of sense. And you think, oh wow, yeah, this is the perfect song for right now on the album. Mm.
0: What just out of interest, what were the singles from the album in the end?
1: Yeah, there were loads. Um yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> Plug and were. Baby was the lead one. Uh Newborn was was one of them, obviously a I'm guessing I think feeling a much, good was much yeah. shorter version. Yeah, feeling good, bliss. Bliss is another example of quite a mm. um, a poppy, um, well, the poppier end of the uh, origin of symmetry scale. That was a single. I think hyper music was as well. There were there were plenty.
0: Yeah, but plug in baby is definitely is known as probably their most famous song for a reason, uh, and that is because it does so well on the radio on its own as just a huge anthem yeah exactly so number four
1: on number our list five number five <laughs> on our list um is the mastery of dynamics the heaviest songs that like you've touched on uh kind of metal-esque um their gentlest songs are very gentle um but also, so across the album, you've got that. You've got songs like uh, "Screenager," which is probably the yeah the quietest point overall, um, next to big kind of rock beasts. But also within the same song, we touched on Plugin Baby. It goes from, uh, you know, Quiet to Loud to Quiet. uh we touched on Newborn, Citizen Erased, lots of these songs.
0: Yeah, there's this contrast within well between songs and within songs it gets like i said earlier that's that makes those big parts sound even bigger and it makes those quieter more subdued classical parts sound even more mellow uh that's something i really took away from listening to this album you know if you just had a whole album of Muse songs like screenager or if you just had a whole album of songs like hyper music it wouldn't be the same and that's what makes it so great as
1: an album yeah definitely and um I think if you're a gig goer, you need breaks between the heavy songs um, to kind of refresh.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have chance to. They toured. Um, I think they played Leeds Festival, didn't they? Um, Leeds and Reading. They did an Origin of Symmetry show where they just played the entire album, uh, the album in its entirety. And I think, in terms of doing that with albums, this album must have done it. It must have stood up pretty well because that live feel that they tried to create comes across in terms of the structure of the album as well. It is almost like a live set.
1: Well, it was interesting when I was researching this, I found a a review from that um, Reading and Leeds festival uh, weekend where they played the album in full and then the second half of the set was kind of hits from other albums. and They were taking Vox Pops from festival goers and a lot of them were saying, yeah, I enjoyed it. Um thought the second half was better, though. Oh. <laughs> I suppose it's bold to do it at a festival, isn't it, where you're going to have... Yeah. Not- I mean, I, I'm i sure the second half was great. Um, <laughs> and obviously, the second half will be all singles. But um, as as a fan of this album, I would have loved to have been there for the, for the first half. For sure. Right, point number six. Yeah. Something we've touched upon Briefly, was the inclusion of lots of piano and other orchestral elements. Rachmaninoff as a big influence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the song "Space Dementia" is probably the best example here. I think it's the heaviest song I can think of, the heaviest rock song, <laughs> but n- not to feature a guitar. Like piano is mm. kind of the lead lead instrument. Yeah, um, and it's got these quite showy but impressive. Um, Piano trills, yeah. As I think, even the band weren't necessarily aware at this time. Uh, Matt Bellamy was a, a virtuoso pianist um, and just had this mad ability to play <laughs> very complex piano parts. Uh, which, I mean, even since I can't think of uh, many, if any, songs to include this type of thing. No, uh, in the middle of a rock song. <laughs>
0: It almost sounds like it's been sped up in Space Dementia. It's, it's crazy. It's like nothing else I've heard in a, a pop or rock song before or, or since really. It's almost, you know, it's, it's very rare that, especially on this album, that they play songs, they record songs in ways that they couldn't be translated directly to live. So quite often when there's piano playing, there's no guitar playing It's, it's, it's as if they're playing it live.
1: The classical influence is isn't just the uh, instruments used. The structures of chords um, and melodies are often very kind of based in classical music. Mm.
0: Um, Do they get compared
1: much to Queen at the time? Because they are quite in the way
0: they're kind of glam, touch into kind of areas of glam rock in a way. And then that kind of style of piano, I'd imagine they would have got compared to them quite a bit. Yeah,
1: I, th- I think they did. I think those even for me um, first album which compared to what came after it was relatively subdued yeah. um, I think they did get some kind of references to Queen um, and again later on that would become more of a when they did the kind of do the sort of vocal yeah. uh, harmonising um, and then it becomes very obvious but yeah I think I think Queen is a good example of one of the bands to previously make music so kind of overblown and um operatic in its yeah you know, operatic its exactly
0: yeah i mean
1: i guess another point
0: on that is the way that he uses his voice as an instrument the falsetto and the uh the way that entire that notes can span <laughs> entire choruses in in uh, in some instances it, it it creates almost more of an orchestral feel i think because his voice sounds orchestral
1: (laughs) yeah he's got a kind of very vibrato heavy voice um and yeah sometimes the lyrics are incomprehensible because he sort of you know ties his particularly live he ties the syllables together
0: interesting fact is that um hyper music actually contains his highest note on any uh any song they released you know did you know so
1: that? no, i didn't know that what what note is it it is a a5 <laughs> i mean that sounds pretty hard to me <laughs> anything with that's in octave five yeah sounds quite impressive but yeah, I think he was quite quite self conscious, as like any
0: kind of teenager in a band would be when they first started out. Would just sing in a low kind of monotone voice, and it wasn't until they actually started producing albums that he opened up a bit more and just thought, ah, "Screw it, I'm just going to yeah. go for it."
1: Well, an interesting fact for you, um, it's fact time. Fact time <laughs> about about the falsetto vocals. The album, I don't know if you know this, the album wasn't released in the United States until years later because right. they didn't like all the high vocals <laughs> and they said, well, we can't release that. People aren't going to like that. You know, change it. Obviously the band said no. not doing <laughs> that." So it, it just didn't get released. <laughs> Pleasing lack of compromise from a band in their early days. And that brings us nicely on to our next point, which is musical
0: virtuosity.
1: So they are they are um, all very talented players. I mean, Chris Watson is very well respected in the musical community as a, like a fantastic bass player. Mm. There's bass riffs on this album that are just mad. <laughs> they
0: go all over the place. Like stuff that you you, know, you, you can tell. I know. I think from listening to the album that it wasn't just written by one person or one or two people. They all had their own input into it because. Yeah, they all obviously wanted to, <laughs> to make something that sounded sounded interesting. And uh, some of Chris's bass lines uh, th- throughout the album are just, yeah, crazy.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think they have to be. When you've got a three-piece, um, you're sort of playing catch-up with four- and five-piece bands and the number of instruments you can play at any one time. And so you've got to make your parts kind of fill the gap. And they all do that really well. And also, having played together since school, there's a real tightness there, uh, both live and, and on record.
0: Yeah, we've already talked quite a lot about the piano and vocal abilities of Matt Bellamy, but that's we haven't really even spoken about how... Much of a a kind of guitar hero, I guess he is to so many people, and how great he is on, on the guitar. And he kind of took that instrument for me to to a new place. And he he would have done it built on this more and more again in later albums with modifying his custom Manson guitars to feature uh, built in um, chaos pads and all sorts of things. I remember the being in awe of the seven string guitar that he had custom made for uh citizen erased on this album which just is basically creating a new instrument and sounds completely unique but yeah he's pretty ridiculous musical talent and uh whether it's on the piano the vocals or the guitar you know, on this album it's it's all all of that all those three elements are there in abundance so yeah you know, it's, it's not not showing off but you know, it's, it is in a way yeah
1: isn't it, it? it is and it isn't i mean it's i don't listen to the songs on this album and think Oh, well, that solo doesn't need to be there. In fact, it's often quite a good demonstration of r- restraint when it comes to solos. Take solos like Newborn, it's kind of very melodic and it just happens to be kind of using lots of tapping and very, um, very fast uh, guitar playing, but it's not gratuitous. Um, the solos are almost hooks most of the time, um, they're, they're hummable. And there's this few,
0: there's not many songs that have like a classic guitar, r- classic guitar rock solo in them, but he's he is almost soloing throughout in a lot of songs with the riffs and the and the intricate playing in in some of the verses and stuff like that are almost solos in their own right
1: yeah it's, it's something you appreciate uh, watching him live especially while he's singing um at the same time as his hands are going up and down the fretboard it's quite impressive.
0: Point
1: number eight. I think we're on eight. Yep. Yes. <laughs> good, good, good maths. Good counting.
0: Um, yeah. Point number eight. That wild experimentation and pushing those boundaries of what had been done before and uh, and what was okay and acceptable for
1: an album. Yeah. So in in addition to kind of mixing of influences, be they classical or heavy rock or melodic rock, um, they also bought more crazy and original things into a melting pot a famous example is the use of uh human bones as percussion instruments on the song the start of the song screenager
0: yeah which is a fact that completely passed me by until i uh started, you know i i now i listen to yeah, it right, like, how i say did I I famous it's yeah.
1: famous if you've read muse facts
0: i suppose but i don't i think it just completely passed me by that it was anything other than just a normal instrument uh but now listening to it it sounds so so unique, uh, and it doesn't sound like a normal xylophone or something, but I must have just thought it was something like that. But it's, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> human bones is definitely, uh, maybe it was something to do with the, uh, quite, and this is something that I did definitely know about and, uh, that is quite well known about Muse is that a lot of this album was recorded and re- written whilst on magic mushrooms, <laughs> hallucinogens.
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely got to play a player part, hasn't it? Um, I think, yeah, they've talked quite openly about, are using mushrooms around this album and other albums. Um in a kind of quite secluded I'm, I'm pretty sure it was in, in Devon that they recorded this one, but it was certainly in a kind of secluded yeah. rural location. Yeah it was, yeah. So they could really kinda of get lost in uh, lost in the music they were making and kind of try everything, try anything. Um nothing's off limits.
0: guess they they had a, by this stage they had a little bit of guidance and help from producers which uh and luckily obviously producers that were uh were open to that idea of, of throwing these in because you can imagine that there would probably be someone out there that would go if you th- floated the idea of bringing in um flamenco guitar or some of the other more unusual things that are, that are on the album um they probably would steer them away from things that are a bit more or, or try and make them put them as b-sides or something like that rather than which i love about this album is there's tracks in there that yeah for other bands they probably would have been on b-sides or special albums whereas they've they've not been afraid to throw them right in amongst ev- everything
1: one left term we've i don't think we've mentioned yet is the, the album closer megalomania mm. um recorded uh on a church organ which is kind of obviously a very a uh, distinctive sound very kind of on guitar and even on piano but yeah at the same time when the chorus comes in it's it's so huge and very much in keeping with uh, what muse were doing in the rest of the album obviously they, to record a church organ properly you've got to go into a church and you've got to get permission from uh, I believe it was the priest in this case of that that parish uh, to record um so i think the priest wasn't best pleased um about this it's kind of like scruffy young rock band coming in um getting getting his uh, organ keys or grubby um but he kind of agreed on the condition that he could see the lyrics because you know he didn't want some uh satan <laughs> satan worshipping um uh, <laughs> song to be recorded in his church um or anything kind of remotely controversial. So the story goes that actually they hadn't written lyrics at this point. So Matt Bellamy quickly scrolled something that was quite happy and positive. <laughs> um and, you know, this passed the priest's test. He's like, yeah, fine, that's okay. And what actually ended up was one of probably the darkest lyric of the whole album. Um which shouldn't shouldn't have been a surprise, because when you hear it, it's a very minor key piece. Yeah. It sounds sounds very dark. But um they got away with it, and I think the fact he was such a uh, an impressive pianist probably helped win over <laughs> the uh, the clergy in that particular instance.
0: We're on to point number nine now, and I guess it, it's not just the album's not just experimental and, and wild in terms of yeah the sound. It's also the I guess the kind of the themes and things like that, and the the lyrics and everything about it really is is quite experimental.
1: Yeah, I think um, Showbiz' the first album was kind of very much written from a point of um, you know, growing up in a small town wanting to escape, kind of mixed in with usual kind of human relationships. And, you know, that doesn't go away um, in Origin of Symmetry, but there's kind of a more, there's larger themes that are starting to be explored. So you still get the kind of feelings of alienation and isolation, but they're sort of set against um, grander metaphors. Um, Space dementia is a good example. If you're not aware, space dementia is the condition Suffered by astronauts who have been into space and have kind of seen the vast nature of uh, of the universe we live in, or a small part of the universe, mm. and seen when they come back, they kind of see the uh, relative tininess of of our planet and and um, day to day life, and it's, it's a kind of insanity of trying to square those two things. Yeah, and it's a classic kind of muse theme. I think I found that appealing as a as a youngster as well, the fact that it was kind of reaching beyond um usual lyrical topics, whilst at the same time still at its core, sounding relatable. Yeah, there's there's plenty of uh, interviews again around the
0: time of uh, Matt being asked uh, what the lyrics mean or what the theme of the album is and things like that. Like you can't really tell sometimes if he's just taking the piss of it and he's just like he he'll come out with some really long answer. There's a really good interview of uh, where he's asked what newborn is about. Turns around and takes this like massive deep breath. He's like, oh, what's it about? What's it about? What's it, <laughs> <laughs> what's it about? Think it up on and spot. then he comes out with this really long answer like really intricate answer about how that it's the it's about how you you know, we're we're getting disconnected from reality and uh, with technology and then it's about refinding, uh, you know yourself and, and rediscovering things that, that are great about about the world and about about reality that maybe you'd you'd forgotten
1: another point i did want to touch upon with the lyrics um as kind of oblique as they can be um and hard to hard to fathom um matt does at times have uh, a gift for kind of devastatingly to the point um lyrics especially in choruses um, mm. Which, as we mentioned earlier, kind of really fits with uh, this kind of cinematic blockbuster sound. Again, it's something that perfect even more on on Absolution, with when you had kind of songs about the end of the world. Um, but from this album, the chorus to Hyper Music for one goes, "I don't want you, and I never did. I don't want you, and I never will." It's sort of <laughs> devastatingly simple, um, yeah, but kind of really visceral and it's kind of cutting through the crap um in fact in in many ways it's the most kind of unpretentious thing it's sort of getting to the core of emotion you can kind of hear he means it um the way he's kind of belting out the lyrics and this gigantic um metal backing track behind him
0: I think he sometimes um adds to that as well particularly on this album in like in micro cuts uh is the one that i can think of off the top of my head there's a there's a few where he puts distortion on the vocals to almost make it more like an instrument and to make it sound more angry
1: and yeah uh, and full that's true yeah he's got um i think on feeling good as well in the verses of that he's got a little um mm. What's the word? What's that little thing you speak through? Almost like an intercom. Um, but um, <laughs> Like a megaphone? It, yeah, he uses a megaphone. Maybe that's yeah maybe that is the word I was, I was looking for. <laughs> um,
0: it's just, it is another form of distortion though, isn't it? It's yeah. Just, it's just distorting li- his lyrics, yeah. And again, it's that, it's those long notes that you can hold that mean you can have, you can basically have three or four words in a chorus and fill an entire <laughs> chorus. Yeah, with if, if in doubt, I'll be honest. Hit my A5. I... There were definitely songs when I was younger. I it wasn't till I'd listened to the album quite a few times that I actually bothered to look up some of the lyrics. And I know a lot, a lot of the time I'd just be singing along, making noises with no idea what he was saying.
1: Yeah, I imagine like automatic subtitles, kind of trying yeah. to accompany a muse performance, would have an absolute <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> I wonder if this is why they're so they
0: really hit it off so quickly in countries like japan and france and other countries around the world so often getting higher in the charts than in america and the uk is that his lyrics um or his singing style is almost more of an instrument it's uh it's, you can sing along even if you have no idea of the english language yeah i think
1: yeah you can you can sing along to parts of it without needing to enunciate uh properly um but also a uh, Going back to the, I think the music is so emotive; it sort of speaks to itself. Um, like you don't, yeah, that's true. you don't need to always hear the lyrics to uh, get what the song is kind of hinting towards. Whereas in other genres of music that are more lyric heavy or more rely more heavily on uh, on lyrics, where the music is perhaps doesn't particularly steer you one way or another, and you do kind of really yeah. need to to hear the lyrics, to um, to understand the emotion of the song.
0: Yeah, agreed. So we're there now. We're at point number 10, 10 out of 10, for why this album is so great. Yeah. Um, what are we going to end on?
1: Uh, electronic elements, synthesizers, which is something that quite subtly got incorporated into the signature muse sound on this album, particularly mm. arpeggios. Um, the intro to Bliss is probably a prime example, but you can hear it in yep. in ScreenAger, in uh, Space Dementia, in The Breakdown.
0: Again, it's, it's adding to that spacey vibe, isn't it? The, nothing says space more than synth.
1: But I'm, I'm impressed with the way it kind of meshes really seamlessly with um with the other the other instruments. It doesn't sound out of place. It sounds like it like it belongs there. Interestingly, uh the Riff that
0: big synth arpeggiator Riff from uh the start of Bliss, uh Matt said he that he thinks he copied it from a children's music programme he had when he was five.
1: Oh yeah. Can, can we <laughs> verify this? I don't don't get I don't suppose we know the name of the programme.
0: No, he just he said in in an interview that he uh, I don't even think he can remember. I think he just uh, he just says that he feels like he ripped it off from a a kid's pro- a music program he had when he was when he was little.
1: Oh well, there you go. Maybe maybe I'm giving him too much credit.
0: <laughs> but that, I mean, anyway, he, say, he says ripped off. I think I, think, he yeah, I mean heavily influenced.
1: <laughs> every uh, musician is is influenced by other things, be they specific or more general
0: yeah it's it, it it doesn't just add a kind of spacey futuristic vibe it also makes the album feel even more dancey and uh energetic i think yeah, yeah it, adds the, the a, addition of synth particularly in songs like this
1: adds a bit of levity as well um if it's kind of constant distortion and a heavy guitar even with the um kind of dynamic shifts we mentioned earlier it can be it can sort of sort of bog you down a bit as a listener but mm. i think it adds a, a lightness of touch and it again throws you into almost a different
0: genre from you know you've got your metal elements in their music you've got their classical elements and then you've got basically a, a dance element in there as well so all three of those coming together in in many cases to to form this mesh that works so well and gives them their their signature sound <laughs> So that's ten things that we love most about Origin of Symmetry. So, what are we going to take from? There's so many things we've broken down there. So many things that could influence us, and so many things that we could use. So, is there anything in particular when you were listening back to this album, Jack, and when you were breaking it down that you thought that is? I, I really like that. I'm going to try and. Not copy it, but use use that influence of that particular element for when we're creating this album over the course of this year. A, l- a
1: lot of things, obviously, I'd love to be able to do uh, as well as uh, Origin of Symmetry I does. Could just get hold of some human bones, <laughs> <laughs> listeners. If you want to send <laughs> in your bones to this address, um, well, it's certainly the kind of spirit of experimentation um, in general is. It's something I'd I'd like to take into our own album, and it's something we've we've been doing in part already. We've kind of used kitchen implements, uh, sounds of hoovers, and things like that. Yeah,
0: I didn't actually realize in Screen Asia there's th- this bubble wrap and a shopping bag apparently, are so. uh, uh, used in there, which I, I have actually used a shopping bag to create a kind of drum sound on one of my tracks, but unknowingly that I was, uh, unknowing that I was ripping off uh, something that had been done. Yeah, um, something has been done, hasn't it? It's a different shopping bag. <laughs> different different supermarket. Different brand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> different sound.
1: Well, that's all right, then. I think they're quite a hard... A band to replicate directly even if we wanted to
0: yeah I mean things like the the piano the, the yeah you've, you've got to be a pretty, pretty just... good <laughs> musician and I think
1: that's why we're yeah, so yeah, th- few bands that since that sound like them I still don't know what kind of genre or what combination of genres our album will be but listening to an album like this I've it does kind of remind me of how much I like guitar riffs and how it would be nice mm. to you know write at least one good one and put that on me up for sure
0: i think for me it's the uh it's the cinematic element of it The the energy the contrast as we said one of the points the dynamics the contrast between the light and light and dark is that well the the, the, the solemn and and the energetic the that that's something i'd like to get because i just think it really all my favorite albums pretty much have have that they're not just constant all the way through they have they take you on a bit of a journey that's something i would definitely like to incorporate one way or another and whether we need to think about that from the start when we're building the album or whether we just write songs and then figure out how they're arranged Uh, whether we you know when we whereabouts in the album we put the heavier songs and whereabouts yeah i've Quiet, that's, so that's one of the drinkable. kind
1: of nerdy things about music that's always interested me was kind of where to sequence songs either on an album or on a set list and kind of for yeah. maximum impact
0: yeah and I think there may, there may be a case where yeah like we've, we have tracks that just get that we really like but maybe they just don't find a place on the album because they don't quite indeed it's, in. it's
1: quite often you hear of a band releasing a song a few months after an album's release saying yeah I've got this one line around that was recorded at the same time but really like it but didn't fit so here it is now but then
0: equally as i as i said there's there's definitely this album um proves that you can throw in complete almost curveballs in terms of sound from the flamenco guitar to you know all sorts of to the organ as, as long as you do it in a in a clever way you can it's it's not impossible having yep. massive contrasts for sure
1: yeah it's it's a balance to get right because you don't you don't want my whole album to sound the same, um, but you do want it to be connected by some thread, whether that's musical or lyrical or thematical or whatever it is.
0: And I think also that creating the the live feel of, of any of this album stands out alongside a few others, but it's it's right up there with for me in terms of albums where they've managed to create a live sound Um and I don't know if that'll be possible if I know a lot of the songs we've already started writing have a lot of parts I and mean, there's only two of us but we're not really thinking about it in terms of playing live so maybe it'll be tricky to to get that to come across if we're writing songs with, with many many parts in them um but the definitely the energy of a live song um is something that I would like to uh to get in there That's something that Muse do so well on this album with the uh Elements of the feedback and things like that, which are, which almost make it feel live, you know, the end of songs or the beginning of songs where they just let the guitar feedback. There's even parts where you can hear the guitars being plugged in or unplugged, those kind of bits which make it feel real and not overproduced.
1: Yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe it's as simple as kind of reminding the listener that they are listening to an instrument, um, and not, not a uh, processed, keyboard or, or whatever it is it's um but it's actually been made by a human. I, I agree that's something that would be be nice to uh nice to try and include on in our album.
0: We'll try. We'll try our best. <laughs> Any concluding remarks? Or is that have we got everything
1: we need? I think that's it. I um I enjoyed enjoyed this a lot revisiting the album and uh, and spilling my guts about it.
0: Yeah, it's definitely been fun. It's definitely uh it's really worthwhile doing. It's something I'm definitely, well, we'll hopefully do more episodes like this on other albums that have influenced us. But outside of that, I think I'm going to go back and listen to some albums that I really liked over the years and see what it is just about those albums that I like, kind of break them down a bit more, think of them more from a from a producer, songwriter point of view, rather than just a listener point of view for, for a change. So I hope you enjoyed that slightly different episode to normal. Um, If you did, please let us know uh, on email. We're at tunelighting at musicianshq.com or you can uh, send a message on uh, Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn. We're on all those now. LinkedIn? (laughs) Instagram, sorry. We're not on LinkedIn. Not that professional. Um, We're there at tunelighting. You can find us. Next week, we'll be back to a normal episode centered around us making this album in a year. We'll be talking about the subject of getting stuff done of uh, things like writer's block and uh, getting through those times which are inevitable in the creative process such as writing a musical album so thanks once again for listening Uh, please do give the podcast uh, a like on itunes and subscribe as well to get it automatically downloaded and we'll see you next time